Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we ask you uh, that you would grant your people grace to avoid the infections of the devil and with pure heart and mind to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit now illuminate this word and give us ears to hear and all those with eager and hungry hearts said, Amen. Well, where is God when times are tough? This is one of the most common objections towards belief in God. If God is so loving and powerful, why does God allow so much pain? You know, it's not too difficult to see many examples of pain and suffering. A prominent example that has touched us all in the last few years, uh, we, we've seen over 624 million cases of COVID uh, and more than six and a half million recorded deaths. Uh, not to mention the impact on money and livelihoods, mental health and relationships and so on. And on top of a global pandemic, uh, the last few years, it doesn't take long to see the many evidences of floods and earthquakes, poverty and injustice, bullying and loneliness. But here's the thing, it's not just a question of pain and suffering out there. It's personal. It's closer to home. All, without exception, are touched by the brokenness of the world. And if you haven't yet been that impacted by brokenness in the world, you will be soon. Uh, I'm confident that in, even in a group this size here, that some of you, some of us, are experiencing incredible pain right now. And it might be pain that is known by some of the people that are around you, but it might also be pain that you're working through and processing and grieving that maybe barely anyone knows the things that you're going through. The question, where is God when times are tough? That's the question we are seeking to answer uh, across this short series. We're going to turn to someone in the Bible who also asked the question, God, where are you? when times are tough. Uh, his name is Habakkuk. And uh, Habakkuk, this small three-chapter um, book, is perhaps one of my favourite books in the Old Testament. Uh, it's one of the minor prophets. We looked, we've just finished uh, another minor prophet, Jonah. Uh, here is Habakkuk. And Habakkuk was written in the 7th century before Christ. Uh, historical context after the civil war in Israel when God's people were split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom by this stage, Israel, has already been taken over by Assyria and so Habakkuk is writing about what is taking place in the southern kingdom of Judah. And so the book is structured around a series of complaints that Habakkuk brings to the Lord. Uh, the way I remember the structure of this whole book is this. Q&A, Q&A, pray. 
Q&A, Q&A, pray. So what does that mean? There's a question from Habakkuk and then an answer from God, followed by another question from Habakkuk and another answer from God. And then it concludes in chapter 3 with this remarkable prayer in response to the Q&A, Q&A, a prayer from Habakkuk with so many things to teach us. And so as we answer the question, where is God when times are tough? I want you to notice two things from uh, Habakkuk 1 and part of Habakkuk 2. Uh, And the first thing I want you to notice is that Habakkuk is, number one, wrestling with the Lord. Habakkuk is wrestling with the Lord. The, The questions that Habakkuk brings to the Lord are no small questions. It's a real struggle. It's a real wrestle that tests his faith in God. And in his wrestle, his first complaint is this. Why is wickedness going unpunished? Why is wickedness going unpunished? Pick it up with me in Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning again at verse number 2. This is, the headings are even helpful in the book of Habakkuk. Here's his complaint. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk sees. What does he see? He sees that injustice is going unpunished in his nation. And so what does he do? He cries out to God for help. How long, O Lord? Why don't you do something about injustice, Lord? Lord, do you even care? You know, as you hear something of that cry, of that complaint of Habakkuk, perhaps perhaps you've cried out to God with similar words in your own journey. You know, why God? Why this? Why this pain? Lord, when will it end? You know, and perhaps uh, you've even felt a little bit guilty about questioning God. Is it right to cry out to him like Habakkuk does here? Well, I think don't feel guilty about crying out to God. I actually think one of the things that the book of Habakkuk even teaches us that asking the question is okay. You see, when we see, as Habakkuk has, when we see injustice, when we see pain, when we, th- when we see that things are disordered in God's world, crying out to God recognises that if anyone can do something, it's God. And so it's actually the right posture. And so rather than kind of not talking to God in the midst of suffering, running from God in the midst of suffering, Habakkuk is asking the right question to the right person, to the right being, to the right God. Why God? Why is there injustice? Why is injustice going unpunished? He turns to the right place. 
remember some years ago learning about Joseph Coney. Quick show of hands if anyone, if that name rings a bell for anyone. A few people. Uh, Joseph Coney is the leader of the LRA, a guerrilla military group that used to operate in Uganda. Uh, Coney is responsible for abducting children to become child soldiers uh, and sex slaves. More than 60,000 children have been brought into his army as soldiers. Uh, about 10 years ago, 2012, there was a social media campaign uh, that attempted to make Coney famous. Uh, the whole goal was that the world would be educated, that the world would join this hunt to find him, to bring him to justice, and yet make Coney famous flopped. And many attempts from governments across the world have been made, and yet Coney has never been brought to justice. You can imagine many of the families of children stolen, abducted by Coney, have cried out, asking God, when will this end? When will you bring justice to this world? Now, we don't have an answer as to why Coney hasn't yet been brought to justice. And yet in response to Habakkuk's question, in response to Habakkuk's complaint, about why wickedness goes unpunished, the Lord actually answers. Remember, Q&A, Q&A, pray. We've had our question. Well, the Lord's answer comes there in verse 5 to 11. The summary, what's God's answer? His answer is, judgment is coming on the wicked. However, God adds in there and says, it's probably not what you're expecting in the way of judgment. Check it out with me. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. This is the Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So God says, the Lord says, yes, I will bring justice in Judah. The wicked will be punished. Justice will go forth. How? God will raise up the Chaldeans. Your translation may say the Babylonians to come and to take over Judah. Yeah, and, and as you can imagine, this wasn't quite the response that Habakkuk was after. Well, hang on. Why would you do that with those people? This is, this is not predictable. Habakkuk is baffled by God's response. He then complains again. We'll, we'll skip over a few verses there from basically chapter 1 verse 12 uh, to the end of the chapter, what's his complaint this time? His complaint is, isn't the medicine worse than the disease? Complaint one, God, there's injustice. Answer one, hey, I'm going to bring justice. Complaint two, what? You're going to use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, as instruments of your justice? Isn't the, wor the medicine worse than the disease? 
Check it out. Chapter 1, verse 12. Habakkuk cries out, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You see, what Habakkuk does in his second complaint here is things are not squaring with his understanding of God's character. It's like, you're God, the holy God, and yet you're using them kind of saying, Lord, aren't your eyes too pure to even look upon evil? You can kind of imagine this wrestle that Habakkuk is having with the Lord. He is confused by this. How can a good and holy God be using an evil nation? A nation worse than the injustice that's taking place in the nation of Judah. How can that holy God be using them to do his work. Well, by the end of chapter 1, we haven't yet got a resolution. Habakkuk is still wrestling with the Lord. I want to pause there for a moment for those of you who are currently wrestling with the Lord, trying to understand the tough times that you find yourself in in your life. No. You're not alone. Habakkuk wrestles with God. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read a, a big book of the Bible called Job, where Job wrestles with God. David in the Psalms wrestles with God. Paul, as he looks at his life and the thorn in his flesh, wrestles with God. And even Jesus wrestles with his father. You know, I remember when Jesus prayed in the garden, confronted with the reality of going to the cross. Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You know, it's kind of, he repeatedly, if we were to read the rest of the context, and if you're not familiar with it, let me encourage you to look up Mark 14 in your own time to see it. But Jesus is, is wrestling with his father. He requests three times, look, Father, is there any other way? Yet, not my will, but what you will. Understand this, you are not alone. Jesus knows your pain. As we'll see more clearly in part two of this series, Jesus has actually done something, not only to identify with us in the middle of our pain, but Jesus has done something radical to bring an end to our pain. Brief spoiler alert, can't help it, but the cross of Jesus is precisely how we know that God takes our suffering seriously. Jesus, the one we meet in Scripture, who is God in the flesh. He knows our pain. And central to his whole mission in coming to this earth, 
was to bring an end to suffering. Jesus is the one who lives the the righteous life, the holy life, the perfect life, a life without sin. And yet Jesus willingly goes to the cross to suffer in our place and for our sin. Jesus' suffering at that cross was all about bringing an end to suffering as Jesus suffers in our place. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees that there is an end in sight, that the grave is not the end for those who trust in him. And yet I love that scene. If we had more time, we could spend time in Mark 14 or any of the Gospels and see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew in the Garden the horror of the cross that was before him, the horror of drinking the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. I was reading it in my own personal readings this morning in the book of Isaiah. The the idea of the, the cup of the wrath of God is a cup that is supposed to be drunk by the wicked among God's people, by the wicked who've rejected God. And yet Jesus knows how horrible it will be to drink that cup, to take that punishment, that he was yet willing to drink it on our behalf that we wouldn't have to. And yet this incredible act of love was no casual task. Going to the cross came with great pain and anguish. Hence Jesus, even Jesus, God the Son, wrestled with God his Father. If there's any other way, Father, have we not thought about this enough? Is there any other way to bring an end to suffering in this world? Is there any other way to purchase salvation for our people. And yet it's at the cross we see precisely what God in his son, the Lord Jesus, has done to not only identify with us in our moment of pain, but to give us hope beyond the pain and beyond the grave through him who lived, died and rose again. Spoiler alert over, couldn't help but do that. We'll spend more time uh, in our next section uh, speaking about this. But back to Habakkuk. In chapter 1, we see Habakkuk wrestling with the Lord. And in chapter 2, the second thing and the final thing to see tonight is we see Habakkuk waiting upon the Lord. Number 2, waiting upon the Lord. He's wrestling and yet he's waiting even though Habakkuk, this is, there's so much to learn here from Habakkuk's response. Even though Habakkuk is confused by the Lord's answer, but by the Lord's answers, he is willing to wait. He is willing to give God another hearing. He's willing to keep trusting God. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watchpost." And station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk will wait and he'll watch and he'll see what God will say in response. Yeah, he's confused and yet he's still trusting in the reality that God is holy, that God is good and that God is pure. The rest of chapter 2 is... The Lord's second response. But ultimately, here's the summary of 
of what the Lord says in his response. Ultimately, it is an invitation from God. And it's this. The Lord says to Habakkuk, trust me. Trust me. Look, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. God says, I will save you. Hard times are coming, but I've got this. I'm in control. You can trust me. In Habakkuk chapter five, uh, chapter five, in Habakkuk chapter two, verse six to verse twenty, there's a list, and we we don't have time to read them all right now. But there's a list of five woes against the Chaldeans, against the Babylonians. Uh, yes, the Chaldeans will come and defeat Judah. But they will also meet justice. We find out later that it was the Persian Empire that would come and defeat the Chaldeans. Does that make sense? So in the first instance, there's injustice in Judah. And so God will raise up the Chaldeans to bring an end to that injustice. But these guys are still worthy of judgment because they're a crooked bunch as well. And so God will raise up the Persians to come and take over them And that's the response that God gives. And yet you see there, look at verse 4. You see there it says, the righteous shall live by his faith. Verse 4 highlights for Habakkuk and for us this invitation to trust in God. Have a look at the whole verse. It says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But, the contrast, the righteous shall live by his faith. The invitation from the Lord to Habakkuk is to live by faith. Uh, One author has explained, uh, kind of rephrased uh, this verse. Uh, Leon Morris, he says, the righteous will live by his constant reliance on God. This is the posture, O righteous one, Habakkuk, if you want to trust me, live by your trust. Live by your constant reliance upon me. That is what faith is. It's trusting in God, knowing that he is good and relying upon him. You see, all who trust in God will have life. Faith is is trusting in God's promises. Get this, even in the face of tough times. Another author, uh, another commentator, he said that Habakkuk the prophet teaches us that questioning God is acceptable It is refusing to trust God that causes our downfall. Let me say that again. Habakkuk the prophet teaches us that questioning God is acceptable. It's refusing to trust God that causes our downfall. Habakkuk knows that God is holy, God is pure, God is good. He's confused by God's answers to his complaints and yet he keeps trusting in God regardless of the personal circumstances that he finds himself in. Listen, whatever circumstances you currently find yourself in, whatever recent circumstances you spend time reflecting upon, 
It is right to wrestle with God. Whatever circumstances are to come, you don't even know some of the things that are on the horizon that just will not make sense. Things that you will suffer. Things that will cause you to ask questions. It is okay to wrestle with God. But it's also right and appropriate that we wait upon the Lord. The worst thing that you can do in the face of tough times is to stop trusting God. You know, so often suffering is that thing that can cause us to either run from God or run to God. May we be a people who run to him in the midst of suffering, who cry out to him in the midst of suffering. You know, at the end of the woes that we read in chapter 2, we read one of the reasons why God can be trusted. Pick it up at the end there, chapter 2, verse 18. It says, what profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts, how ridiculous is this, in his own creation. When he makes speechless idols, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The gods of the Chaldeans and Babylonians are fake gods, are handmade gods. You literally crafted that God with your own hands and now you're bowing down to worship it? It has no life in it. And yet I think the thing as we read the Old Testament and some of the ways that, uh, that the Lord mocks the gods of the nations and the folly of worshipping down to silver and gold and things created with our own hands is... We may not have little statues that we bow down to, but we so often create things in our own lives that we treat as some type of God-like ultimate thing that we put our trust in, and yet they have no breath in them. They are not living. They are not true. They are not God. And yet the Lord we meet in the Bible, He is the true and living God. He's the Holy One who breathes. He's the one that gives us life and breath and everything and he sits in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him god is god and there is no other and god can be trusted where is god when times are tough well we know that he is still god and so we wrestle and so we wait you know habakkuk actually got an answer to his questions of what's going on here, God. We may not in this life always get an answer as we cry out to God. Why this pain? Why this sickness? Why this circumstances? And yet regardless of the uncertainty that we or people close to us have in, in the midst of tough times, what do we do? We, we keep waiting upon him. We keep trusting in him. We keep living by faith. You know, as a new church that's in an underground phase of forming, we have a dream. Our dream is to be a city of refuge within the city of Brisbane, where many people have found refuge, security and hope in Christ. Friends, do you know that Christ can be trusted? In the midst of your current confusion, 
your current anxiety, your current fears, in the midst of your future confusion, your future anxiety and your future fears, regardless of the circumstances we face, in him we can find refuge, security and hope. Christ can be trusted. And so let's together keep trusting him. Let's together keep learning what does it mean to really know Christ, to help each other to know Christ, to help each other in the midst of darkness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of grand disappointment, to keep trusting in Jesus. And what does it look like for us as a church, as a community, to to not only do that ourselves, but to do that in such a way that those around us, that the world around us who are who are gripped by pain, who are gripped by fears, who are gripped by darkness, that they too would see that He, that He, Jesus, is the true and living God. That He, Jesus, can be trusted. That we'd invite others to likewise find refuge, security and hope in Him. Let's pray to that end. Uh, Gracious God, we pray to You right now and we ask that You would help us to wrestle that you'd help us to wait, and that you'd help us to keep trusting you in tough times. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus, that he knows what it's like to cry out to you in the midst of pain. And Father, we ask that you would help us today to keep trusting Jesus, to keep finding our refuge, our hope, and our security in him. And Lord, would you use us to encourage others to do the same. Father, we pray that your spirit would strengthen us that your spirit would give us what we need in our time of need. And it's in the name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen.